This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless the patient you're operating on currently has a bomb inside them, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Dr. McSteamed Hands, a uh, podcast all about medical drama in the Albany area. Shut up. That's terrible. I don't like it. No. I don't like it. No. This is Hi Everybody, a bad medicine podcast where we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. You can find this podcast online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hi Everybody MD or by visiting HiEverybodyMD.com. You can also call us, text us, leave us a message, let us know what you want us to talk about at 530-DOCTORB. That's 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in, boy, it took a long time for us to finally watch an episode of Grey's Anatomy to do this podcast. Or the extra B could be for We Been Drinking because we just got out <laughs> of an award ceremony and we were drinking there. Yes, we were. So this, this, might, be... this might be a little mess. Yeah. It's going to be a ride. Yes. Uh, we are discussing as part of Horrortober. Hey, we didn't have to prompt him this time. <laughs> he's, he's all in because he knows he tried to get out of it. And so if there's trouble, it's coming to us. Yeah. But also, there we go. I told you, Horrortober has two R's. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I've made that correction. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did. It's definitely been changed. Uh, this week, we're talking about season 10, episode 7 of Grey's Anatomy Thriller. Yeah, this episode we picked because I thought it's been a while since we've talked about a medical show, um, <laughs> which is true. On this medical podcast. On this medical we've really podcast. Been, we've been making some stretches. And um, I thought, why not do a Halloween episode of Grey's Anatomy since it's been heavily requested that we talk about an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And boy, did we pick an episode of Grey's Anatomy. I mean, there. This this is a problem of every show is just like... Around the holidays, they it's not like it's a bottle episode. It's not like it's a standalone episode. It's just like, hey, we get to bend the rules of reality of our show. And like that's that's what mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Also, I think we all made this comment watching it. This episode felt like three episodes. I honestly thought watching it, um, that oh, they they did a extra long hour and a half Halloween special or something like that. No, it was forty three minutes. It was just or forty seven minutes. It was just a, a lot of minutes in those minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the time to say that none of us are Grey's Anatomy fans. No. Uh, I thought the doctor at the beginning of the show was was Meredith Grey. Um, oh, the one in bed but, with the other person? Yeah. I did yeah. too. No, Meredith Grey is the one at the end. She's the one that ends up being the teacher. Come on, guys. You got to know that. I, I was a fan when it was like season one or two, and then I completely stopped watching. And it definitely showed when I go, who are all these doctors? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is 10 seasons in. Yes. Right? So yes. how long is residency? For a surgical residency, it's like five years. Uh, yeah. So that's the thing. Every, every residency is different. And uh, I, I was in family medicine. Family medicine is three years. Pediatrics is three years also. Yep. Yeah. Uh, internal medicine, I believe, is three years, and then you can add on a fourth, like fun year, if you're gonna specialize, because it makes you a better candidate to specialize. And so, like at the time that Grey's Anatomy is in its tenth season, Doctor Grey, who starts Grey's Anatomy as a doctor, is 
definitely out of her residency and really the residency part is the like that's when you you are learning with the character as opposed to you have a a seasoned old doctor who is angry and cynical mm-hmm. like what we talk about. yeah i also think it's weird they're all surgical residents if i'm correct yeah the show is about surgical residents. why are they all manning the er that happened. The surgical surgery gets called to the ER a lot, but they're also manning the ER like they're ER residents, which is kind of BS. Well, they are in small town Seattle, <laughs> the smallest of towns. Uh, in in our residency, we're what was called. Uh, I think we we're it's unopposed residency, which means like we we were the residents at the hospital, so we also did the ER call. And it was only for our family medicine patients, and it was not as intense as other residencies by any means. Um, but that is a thing that we did where we would be kind of roaming the halls of the, the ER, seeing our patients whenever they came in. And that can, you know, that can be pretty intense in the ER because you, you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get trauma. You're going to get bleeds. You're going to get uh, heart attacks. You're, you get those things that are very high acuity. And if you are a family medicine resident, it's not necessarily what your day-to-day looks like most of the time, but also you have to be able to treat and see those patients. So um, I totally get why you might have a ER full of residents that are not necessarily ER residents. But would they use the ER as a test to see who would be the best resident <sighs> I would love, be? I love, I love that. And if anyone is, if there's ever a toxic residency, it's a, it's a higher level resident following you around, eliminating you from a procedure you want to do. <laughs> like that's, that's really poor... It's it's definitely the characteristics of a malignant residency yeah. that would make you just not want to be there. Um, that being said, that stuff happens, and when it comes to doing procedures, if you are if you show that you know what you're talking about and you know especially how to deal with the complications of something, that's when it that's when an attending might want to work with you more. And, and so this first thing that we're oh, discussing, sorry, we're, we're laying into this. Um, is one of the the less Halloweeny aspects of it which was the the chief of the residency program i don't know what his title was exactly had a pancreatic tumor question mark it they never they never never get said what it is but also because it clearly is a cancer it is a tumor it's not a tumor (laughs) um but it, it clearly he's he's at the he's had previous treatment for something yeah and they're asking, like, now it's up to the surgical team to do stuff. So often if you have a cancer, you will you will get some sort of treatment beforehand, be that radiation or chemotherapy, to help shrink that tumor or to put your body in a better chance of responding well to the surgery. Yeah. And then you have your surgery, and then you you do all this other therapy afterwards. It is interesting that you he they don't ever say his diagnosis. And I, I even re- uh, rewound the... The episode a couple times to see. I don't see know if it if might have been did. mentioned on a prior episode, and and I wasn't gonna do. That. <laughs> I wasn't gonna do that. I'm not watching another episode of this show. Actually, let's back up a little bit. There is one thing I learned uh, that is worth talking about, which is on Halloween you do not wear a costume to the ER. You, if you work in an office as a doctor, you can have some some cat ears on or a Dracula teeth or whatever. If you work in the ER and you wear a costume. You might have to give someone horrible news in a kitty cat face. And that is not a thing you ever want to do. And that is... I'm going to say this right now. In my pediatric ER, there are people that wear kitty cat faces. Uh, Eva, and it gets real awkward. Eva told me this. And I, uh, Eva loves Halloween. Eva is one of the other doctors. Dr. Farley is one of the other doctors that's on, the, on this podcast. 
And she loves Halloween so much that she has published multiple books of pictures of of like high quality pictures of her doing Halloween um all month long. All month long. Every every day she has a picture of her in a different Halloween celebratory picture in in and so like she's really excited about Halloween. I totally get why she showed up to work one day. And I think that was the last time she showed up to the ER wearing anything like you, it's it is different when it is your job, right? It is. I think if you are maybe a ancillary staff at the ER, you can get away with with having a little costume on, but you don't ever want to give anybody bad news with a Ronald McDonald clown nose. <laughs> no. Right? Like oh, or you don't want to have to take off a prosthetic nose prior to giving bad news right so i got some bad news for you nose off squeak like let me this is this is pretty serious let me take off this squeaky nose so it doesn't go hold on i've got i've got a sad clown makeup in the other room give me three minutes and i'll be right back oh i i i actually we we should give dr farley a call at some point it's been a long time yeah um so yeah that's that's no matter what if we get nothing else out of this episode don't wear a halloween costume to the er unless you're a patient if you're a patient we love it you know i'm working on halloween so this will be really (laughs) funny um you know what the other thing you shouldn't do going to the hospital getting lasik surgery and then going straight to work yeah i think i think greg can talk to this better than i can that's true because i in residency i got lasik surgery best decision i made for my eyes i didn't know you got lasik yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um I I did not do well with contacts and a lot of being a doctor is sitting in front of a computer and typing. Mm-hmm. And so if if you are someone whose contacts make them feel tired and their eyes are dry and they don't blink very well, it's it was just bad for me and so I got LASIKs everything was great except for I had this plan after my LASIK surgery. I even was like I'm going to come home and watch TV. I, I, there's all this TV I want to catch up on. No. I could not even get into my building. I had to get the doorman to help me in the elevator because we, we lived in a pretty nice place. Yeah. We lived in a place we did not deserve, deserve to live in. You no. lived in the place from uh, uh, the Rescue Rangers. Chippendale's Rescue, Rescue Rangers. Rangers. We, we yes, lived in correct. Battery Jack's apartment. Correct. We're not even being sarcastic. If you watch um, Chippendale Rescue Rangers and the front of it says International Tower, that is the building Greg and I lived in in residency. <laughs> it's, you're, I don't mind doxing myself to Rescue Rangers. I no. will. I will go on record as that. Uh, it's the same building that is in uh, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. The but whatever. We don't live there anymore. Who cares? No. You show up all you want. <laughs> but I will remember this forever when Greg showed up after his LASIK surgery, going, "My eyes hurt. I took an Ambien. It's time to go to bed." <laughs> and actually, that's what the doctor. He, the doctor's like, "We gave you." Um, we gave you lorazepam or whatever benzo he gave and then he's like also when you get home take this ambient you're not going to want to be awake and i was just like oh he was right i don't want to be awake my eyes hurt real bad and the next day i remember that if i if i was following sort of the 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 post procedure regimen of putting in the eye drops everything was fine except for i had to do that and um it meant that you couldn't really do other stuff i was putting in eye drops like every 2 hours for the first day afterwards yeah eyesight was great but you that's not like, oh, I'm gonna go to work. This feel this feels normal. It definitely didn't feel normal. So he did not want to go to work the next day. And oh, and also was she, she was like blind blind, right? Yeah. Like she was running like that's not a real way that she, you are. She walked do... into like two or three doors and couldn't read stuff. This is not how you should function, especially if you're doing surgery. Yeah. And the, 
So Jackson mentioned malignant, like a residency that makes you feel like that, like you get something done for your a medical procedure for yourself, and the residency has the attitude that you still need to show up to work the next day. That is a malignant residency, and that, that can be in any specialty. It's yeah. not necessarily surgery. Just a surgery. It could be any. Yeah, it could really be any surgery, any specialty, any surgical residency, any surgical residency, <laughs> any surgical residency can be yeah. that bad. It can be rough. Um, but yeah, mind you. We have been talking for what twenty minutes, and we have only just touched the first minute and a half of this show. It was terrible. I hate this. I hate this show. I enjoyed enjoyed this. They touched on so much stuff, which is like that's this is the most jam packed episode of. It makes me. It makes me feel like that's what you have to do in season ten of a show when you don't like when you're not talking about anything. Because the point of the show was watch Dr. Gray grow through residency. Guess yeah. what? She's been done with residency for five, five years. years. So, like, what are we doing? I don't know. Let's have somebody get bit. Let's have a ghost story. Let's have uh, you doing surgery on your attending. Let's yeah. do everything possible. Yeah. Let's, Let's fire somebody. <laughs> like, it's so bad. Um, I'm pay- surprised there was no plane crash. That, that's <laughs> there were next three. season. There were three in this whole show so far, and I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, Johnny, which patient should we talk about first? Because there's so many. Let's go ahead and start with uh, the, the the double zombie. So the the biter and the bite e. Okay. So my my understanding of watching them come in, we have a guy who who comes in beginning of the episode. The cops or the EMT say he was mauled. And mm-hmm. then they find out, oh, it was a person who did this yeah. to you, not an animal. Uh, Katie, my wife, when we were discussing it, brought up, oh, this episode came out almost a year to the day after that guy in Florida ate that after guy's Katie's face. zombie attack? Yeah, after, <laughs> after, after, after Katie got attacked by zombies. Uh, no, after um, the uh, the bath salts face-eating yeah. incident yeah. in Florida. Yeah. I thought that must have been ripped from the headline. Ripped from the yeah. headline. And from Just his like face. That guy's face. <laughs> Um, the one thing I wrote down when I was watching it goes, I said, man, notice how there's so much blood on the face, but his teeth are still pearly white and there's no blood in his mouth after he got mauled on the cheek. Yeah. There were, I had a lot of problems with this. There was not enough blood. I mean, I know it's network TV. I've, I've, I've taken care of some face lacerations that once you, once you put some top you get some pressure on there, you can kind of control it and it's not horrible, but that's like, this is fresh. That's also not something that you're dealing with. Like that is a huge laceration to his cheek with a missing amount of skin. That is not a residential procedure. That is going to like to that, plastics. That is going to plastic surgery for sure. One hundred percent. His face would have looked like the guy from the Cleveland show that owned the bar <laughs> who used too much dip and he had mouth cancer and just eroded his entire cheek of the side I'm of not, his mouth. I'm not getting into this. You know exactly <laughs> I what, know who you're you talking, know about. Exactly I know what what you're talking about. about. I'm not commenting on it. But you would expect so much more blood. But why? His teeth were pristinely white considering how much he got mauled on the face. Yeah, and I mean I guess look up that case. It's really sad. <laughs> like It's <laughs> super duper one? sad. And then to yeah. have it played for kind of like laughs like, oh, this guy's concerned about a dude who tried to eat his face like that's an appropriate thing to be concerned he he gets to be as anxious as he wants to yeah. be you got his, you got and, your face eaten. and i mean what really what i'm trying to say is there's no way they, they wouldn't be working on this guy while he is awake 
No. Um, mm-hmm. And especially because the first thing that happens to him is they're like, oh, no, your carotid artery was injured. Also, let, let me just... I feel like we need to have a correction corner here. But also, I will say this. The person who repaired his face was a plastic surgeon slash ENT doctor. Um, well, I don't... And maybe that's the part of not understanding who everybody is. But also, an ENT should not be working on a carotid artery. I, it's vas- true. Like, that's, that's a vascular there, surgeon. There's so many things that happen in here, and it, it's the house problem of just like, if we only talk to four doctors, then they have to do everything. Everything. And that's not. We talked to forty-four doctors in this episode. (laughs) We did talk to forty-four doctors, but there were forty-four things to talk about. But yeah, his his face was so gnarly, and I like kind of Greg touched on it. This is something we would not sew in the emergency department at all. And also, we would use a needle and not an angiocat to try to inject water into his face. Which There's, those are the things oh that I God. noticed a lot. Like I don't think that's the instrument they were talking about. That needle looks real plasticky. Um, I will say there's a there is an important thing we're talking about in this, which is uh, uh, needle stick exposure and exposure to to possibly infected fluids, and I I think it's something that probably needs a deeper discussion than the amount of research Jackson and I normally do for these things that are generally fun podcasts. But like being exposed to potentially um, potentially infected fluid from another person mm-hmm. is it, it that's the thing that happens i know people that had needle sticks i know people that had to take uh what's called post-exposure prophylaxis and basically you're taking medicine to decrease the transmission of hiv the hiv yep. virus um and hepatitis yep uh if you get a needle stick by someone and while you're kind of waiting for the information about this person and that's like a, it's the, i actually think they did a good job in the episode addressing that like that's a thing that happened nobody really acknowledged it that person we're all smart enough to like if we're all doctors we all know what it means but no one talks about it until someone came and talked about it with her and that to me that was an important thing like otherwise doctors worry about stuff that that happens like that and they're they're living in their head about this worst case scenario and then it turns out that two other people in your residency have had this happen yeah and so you don't have to deal with it alone right you it's not that it makes it easy well it does make it easier. It doesn't make it better. It's just like you get to share. It's not a thing you have to go through alone. And so mm-hmm. I'm happy that they sort of addressed it in a meaningful way. I will say this. A lot of the ER doctors I've worked with, me, myself included, needle stick. Yeah, it's it's easy to get a needle stick. They, they, they treated it like a not if but when sort of scenario. Yes. If you work in the emergency department, that is, it's going to happen eventually, like as cautious as you might be trying to inject someone with medications they're gonna jump they're gonna buck right and then you're gonna poke yourself or in my case if you're trying to look through like an autistic patient's ear and they get mad they will turn their head and bite you very hard and break the skin yeah there's there's so many ways to get exposed to to fluids and it's not like you did i I mean sometimes yeah you're you have a lapse in judgment or something and you could have done something better but also it you know you're in a job where this is a thing that can happen and so that's why they're i mean that's why they have a post-exposure prophylactic medical yeah. regimen set up mm-hmm. um but also like any medication those things are not benign right yeah. they they don't they don't have zero risk they do have taking those medications can affect your organs and they can uh, they can do damage to you long term you know what you're not supposed to do when you're on that medication you're not supposed to drink when you're <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that's the first thing they all did after this very long yeah. night is they went drinking so it's it's just one of those things where it, that's easy to overlook in sort of a nonsense 
like this this episode is I think is even being played as a it's a Halloween episode, right? Like yeah. nothing matters. No. But so that was like kind of a real moment of a thing that you deal with it as a resident. And I thought they did a good job with that. Would would the bite victim have gotten the same regimen? Most likely they would get started on some kind of regimen as well as antibiotics too. Um because we don't know what crazy man who took a bunch of drugs and not most likely antibiotics if you get a bite from a human being bite, bite. you get antibiotics the w- one of it. the most dangerous things you can get is a bite from another human being because the bacteria in a human's mouth can knows how to eat the things in your body and so if it gets in places if that bacteria gets in places it's not supposed to go you you get really really bad infections or i mean you mean they're I can... treatable but you they get things instead of a, a a laceration that is easily repaired usually needs antibiotics if if the mouth is involved. We call them the fight bites of the emergency department. I think the organism is called Iconella. I can't remember what the organism is called. Iconella corrodens. But there's a very typical injury where you can, when somebody has a laceration on their third and fourth, the end of their third and fourth metacarpal. Fight bite. That's that's a fight bite where you hit somebody kind of in the mouth, but also you kind of jack their teeth a little bit and the bacteria from their mouth gets in your knuckles. And so and things like that in your joints are even worse because it's harder to that. The blood supply is not as great in there. Um, So basically, that's like you have to treat those with antibiotics. Otherwise, you're going to have complications down the line. Oh, you should see the other guy lost a hand. I uh, one of the one of the. one of the people I like in my neighborhood recently had one of these, and I was asking him, hey, man, what happened? And he <laughs> appropriately said, I don't remember, man. I was like, hey, you need some antibiotics, <laughs> just just so you know. <laughs> like, his hand looks so bad. And that can get to your bone, and yeah, that's the can, really big concerning thing of it, it can, all. It can be really bad. It's – they – what is the standard thing like? Oh, a dog's mouth is is very is cleaner than a human's mouth. It's true. No, it's not true. But when dogs bite other dogs, you got to treat them the same. It's the same sort of thing. Like the bacteria in the dog's mouth doesn't affect humans in the same way that the bacteria in a human's mouth affects humans. Do you remember which antibiotic you use for dog bites? Uh, uh, You're gonna hate it when I say uh, it. I wait. I'll no, give me give me a second. Give me a second. That's not fair. It's a penicillin, right? Yes. It's uh, amoxicillin. Dog menton. Dog, ah, dog <laughs> Benton. I knew it. We use dog Benton for dog bites. It's like actually augmented. augmented. Do you know what you use for cat bites? A <laughs> dog Benton. Cat Benton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That's how I teach my residents, and you'll never forget it. Um, but can we move? Uh, can we move <laughs> on to the zombie himself, who got, who was the bitee or the biter? Ah, uh, yes. Um. They roll him in, and he is full in. I think they just have him in one handcuff, and they just kind of roll him in. That is probably the most dangerous way to bring in a patient, mainly because that is how you're going to get attacked. And we always stress scene safety, and that's one of those situations where if we know someone is super aggressive and they're going to attack, we have extra people at bedside, not just the four or five people they had there. Like... We will actually dedicate one person per limb or extremity just to make sure we don't get hurt. Dog Menton, come on. (laughs) Would you want them fully restrained? Or I know you've talked before about having rules about people being restrained. Yeah, so a patient like that that's 
clearly agitated, you want to restrain them initially so that you don't get hurt and then think about medications to kind of put them down. And the doctor who was there kind of called out for some of the beds. He called out for two of lorazepam and five of Haldol. I thought that was a good, um, that's a good, that's enough medication to put most people to sleep. You got to add that little Benadryl on top of there to make it the the full B-52. So that's the B-52 is Benadryl, five milligrams of Haldol, two milligrams of lorazepam. That'll put most people down. Yeah. Um, Uh, We, we have patients that come into the hospice home that are there for terminal agitation that like their their bodies are agitated because they are at the end of their life and there's nothing specific that's hap- happening to them. It's not like they're under pain. It's just their bodies are agitated. We call it terminal agitation. I, have, I don't have a better explanation than that. Um, but it happens you know, in the last hours to days of life. And so sometimes people end up in inpatient unit to get this treated because it's very hard to treat. And also there are rules about what you can give in other settings. And the hospital especially cannot just keep sedating somebody chemically. So no. we, we have some different rule sets. And um, Benadryl and lorazepam are, are pretty good medications to manage that. And part of what I do is I really escalate those pretty quickly. Like, oh, you gave him 0.5 of Haldol once. Okay, we're going to give him one. That was an hour ago. Nothing. We're going to give him two. Oh, that was two hours ago. He's still agitated. We're giving him four. And so that's kind of what you see coming into the ER is they're, they've already gone through some of that protocol. This guy's still really agitated. He's also a danger to himself. And so once, once they get that under control, then they would, they would be under different rules about restraints and things. But in the, in the short term, the goal is safety first. And this guy is not safely restrained. Like he's, he's a danger to himself and other people. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things. You don't want to keep someone in restraints for too long. Because when they're in restraints for too long, they can break down muscle tissue. And that's like a big thing that I think we've talked about before. So. Also, when, you, when people have the power to restrain people, often that is the way they treat them as opposed to finding out what's wrong. So, yeah. Oh, you're agitated? Well. We're just going to chemically restrain you or physically restrain you. Yeah. And that's there because of the abuse that's happened because of that. Hospitals have rules, especially skilled nursing facilities have rules about what they can use medic uh, medication wise. And, you know, even rails on the side of your bed, you can't have full bed rails because that's, a you know, somebody can't manage because to do it's that a crib stuck in bed. Yeah. yeah, it is a crib. There is something called uh, social intubations that can happen sometimes, too. Where someone <laughs> this does not this happens in, in the, the ER emergency only yes where someone is so agitated when we need to do further tests like a CT scan or whatnot where we would have to kind of paralyze the patient take over their breathing so that we can fully do it and they ultimately do that to this guy um, but not before he bites somebody yeah and that I mean that's like a crummy thing to have to have somebody. Who is in like in custody, being treated, and yet somehow manages to hurt somebody else, and that can certainly happen. And it's definitely a safety first situation. Like that's the first thing we think about when we get a really agitated, angry patient: is what's our entry plan and what's our exit plan? Because if you're not thinking how to get out of there safely, you're gonna get hurt. And I think that's the thing people fail to realize when you deal with really agitated patients. Um, Especially agitated patients that have no heartbeat, mm-hmm. question mark? Yeah. Uh, and speaking of entries and exits, entries and exit wounds from two bullets to the chest. He did not bleed nearly enough. You know what? You know what I'm sad about? I'm sad that everyone's like, we shot him twice and he didn't die. How come he didn't die? Like, you should. You should be really happy he didn't right. die. For, but Number we, one. We have talked about the oath that we take 
when we become doctors, and it is first do no harm. So sometimes things happen and whatever, but you rarely are celebrating somebody die. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a pretty controversial ER episode where oh, I can't remember the white bald guy basically decides he's not gonna treat uh, a sh- a trauma victim who is allegedly a shooter of somebody else who's in the ER. And uh, I I mean. You know, it's one of those on a very special episodes of ER. And also, you know, that that's real in the sense of you you are presented with dilemmas where maybe you don't ethically want to do the thing that you're supposed to do. Um, I think that was by the time ER was getting a little off the rails. <laughs> but like, yeah, what, I, I mean, what do you do if if one of your patients is dead and the guy that shot your patient is now your new patient? You treat them normally. You treat them yeah. like you treat anyone else. First, do no harm. You don't know what's going. I just don't think about that right, situation exactly. and like just you, do you, it. And I, and I, I know that from my time in the ER, the people coming in and dropping patients off can have a real clear. They have a real clear story about everything that happened, and then six hours later, every part of that story is completely, completely wrong. wrong. Just like I mean, I've had situations where I took care of a motorcycle crash. The driver of the motorcycle accident I took care of first was fine. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, I get the victim who is riding behind horrible and almost and dead. And I had to treat the other guy like nothing happened. And that that stuff's hard. But you're you don't think about that stuff. You're not going to be like, hey, you killed this person. I'm not treating you anymore. It's, I think, unfortunately, the uh, a, a medical drama is set up to kind of play that stuff up. Whereas in the real world, I you don't have time to think about. Yeah, that that's the, it's just like. Maybe later someone's like, oh, you didn't hear that this and this happened? Like, oh, no, I didn't know. Also, it doesn't, like, now it doesn't matter, and I would have done the same thing every time. Yeah, the only thing that changes is that I go to the officer, hey, that other person that was with so-and-so, they're dead. You might want to change your charges now. That's about it. Um, I'm glad I don't have to work in Jackson's. (laughs) Jackson's job seems intense. I like my job. My job's weird. Um... But yeah, so going back to this case, though, they said they listened, couldn't hear any heartbeats. The person got shot in the chest two times. There was hardly any blood that came out. And then they did a chest x-ray, and they, it looked like they just superimposed two bullets in the chest. If you got shot in the chest two times, you're going to have a lot of damage. You're going to talk about bullet damage again, and we could be talking about situs and versus? Yes. Okay. Because because I think that's where we talk about bullet damage all the time. I'm just going to say their lungs would be collapsed. Yeah. 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 And if you're going to intubate somebody with um, potential pneumothorax, you want to take them to the OR quickly because if you're going to intubate them and blow air into their lungs, it's going to leak out. And then the big concern with that is you're going to fill up the chest cavity with air and you're going to push the, the lung and all the stuff in the middle, like your heart and whatnot, to the other side and cause what we call tension pneumothorax, which can cause cardiac arrest and then kill them because they're going to have significant hypotension. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all, of the, all of what Jackson said is true. But situs inversus is one of... The, how many patients have you taken care of? With Zero. Si- I've taken care of four. Well, that's crazy. It is. Um, so situs inversus is when your organs are on the other side of your body. It comes with certain syndromes. I think Like evil one, twin syndrome. Yes, just like Evil <laughs> Twin. <laughs> but I think the one I remember is Cartagener syndrome. 
Yeah, that sounds familiar. And also, I sort of remember that, like, in my head, Citus and Versus is like, everything is flipped. Yes. But in reality, the heart and the it's liver. It's like a couple flipped. things are flipped around, kind of. The biggest things are your heart, liver, and your spleen. Um, because. But I don't, I don't think it's always all of it, right? Like, it's not It depends always. on the syndrome that you suffer from, Correct. which is what actually gets flipped. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, so when you are, when you're learning how to look at an x ray, everything starts as gray blobs until yes. it starts to kind of, until someone, you know, until you talk through stuff and are willing to be like, look stupid and try to read x rays in front of people who know what they are. And, or you one, fake it. I mean, that's what I did. But one of the things that like can always be an answer is like, oh, everything's backwards. It's situs and versus. And by that, I mean, it's never the answer because that's like a 0.01% of the population. But if you're trying to like figure out these weird gray blobs and then someone's like, well, what do you think? What does this person have? And you can't even figure out what anything is. Situs and versus is always a fun answer. <laughs> so if you ever get a chest x-ray, they always have to put a marker signifying which side's the left versus the right. And there was one time they took an x-ray of my patient and they forgot to put the marker on and it was backwards. <laughs> and I go, does this patient have situs and versus or did you just forget to put your marker and you flipped it? And the, the tech goes, I don't remember. I do. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? Like, yeah. what, like, oh, I forgot the marker. This patient has situs and versus. So I had to get another x-ray and I go, please put a marker on so I can tell which side's what. Sure enough, situs and versus. <laughs> The double, the double whammy. And I even asked the family, like, hey, did you know your patient's heart, your kid's heart is on the wrong side? They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you tell us that? Yeah, we put I'm it there. so mad. But just because you have situs and versus, if you got shot in the upper part of your chest, it doesn't matter. It's not going to hit your heart. Your heart's I mean, actually a gonna, lot lower than It's going to hit you your think. aorta. Yeah. <laughs> That's, the aorta. All of a sudden, it's hitting the descending aorta. Now it's somewhere bad. So um, it's just because your heart's flipped doesn't. Your heart, if you ever look on a chest x-ray, isn't fully on one side of your chest versus the other. It's really, it starts in the middle of your chest and then leaks over. And I think that's the easiest way to think of it. But I mean, it's also worth making sure the x-ray that you're looking at is being projected properly. In That's in Scrubs, right? Where the, the x-ray yeah. in the background of the opening sequence is, is, act- backwards. is, is backwards. backwards. That happened to me when I was an extra on a show. And I changed their x-ray, and they got mad at me. Because I said, hey, your x-ray is backwards. I'm willing to be your medical consultant without touching your stuff. I told them, please change it. You have not established continuity yet. It's okay. And then they did it. And then they said, what are you, some kind of doctor? And I said, yes. (laughs) It was a very awkward day (laughs) on set. Uh, (laughs) I I would never do that again. I'm, I'm telling you. So for step one, we get a Patreon. Step two, we get X number of subscribers. Step three, we make Jackson suffer through watching the episode where he's an extra. <laughs> I think we should do that Guess what? for it's, Hortober. It's not on Netflix anymore. They took it off, so it's fine. That show's terrible. No one wants to watch it, so it's good. What What show is this? It's called The Night Shift. And what episode are you in? It's season three, episode one. And I what do you work that? now, Jackson? I know <laughs> what I'm doing tonight. My favorite, oh my god, that, my favorite part during that whole thing was they said, hey, we need you to run from one side of the ER to the other. And I said, we don't run in the ER. Yeah, that's not a thing. And they go, what do you mean we don't run? I'm like, we walk with purpose and we walk quickly, but we don't run. You run, you get into trouble. You run, you fall. Um, there were a couple things in here that I also did like. So 
the big conflict that is established in the episode, other than no one can maintain a personal relationship, <laughs> is is that there the the elder statesman doctor is having a significant surgery and he wants the residents to do it. And there's this kind of big fight about it. And these are at least second year residents. They are second year residents. Okay. And it's October. So they're not brand new second year residents. It's October. (laughs) No, no, it's October in the, (laughs) I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I took notes on what I was going to say. So, you know, these, these are, these are second year residents, second or, what one and a half years in these are people that have experience they're not dumb and often these are people who have persist participated as a first assist in surgery also already i think when this what this doctor is asking is not like oh i want a resident to do this just like i want a resident to be to 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 do the majority of this right to like be present and actually do work because another thing you can do in a surgery is hold a retractor for six hours which is a thing i've done and Mm -hmm. also We've probably all... appropriately because i am not a surgeon and have no surgical knowledge but it's like when part of that is like if you have if you've already gone through that experience you know the medicine you know what to do then the next step is you got to do it and that's what that's what teaching someone in medicine is you you have to let them do the experience which also means they may fail at it and it might be it, you know that might fall on you as an attending but but like this guy is giving the permission, right? So at some point, these residents have to be allowed to do it. Yeah, he's quite aware that he... this is a teaching hospital, given that he teaches at this hospital, right? And I think yes. that's why he ultimately lets Bailey go. Like, if you can't, if you can't allow these people to to be trained, then you're not, then you're not going to make any doctors. And I don't think that he fired her as a like residency member doctor. of the oh, staff. I think, I think I, he fired her as the residency. I, I thought he just fired her as his doctor. I oh, maybe I don't know. I don't know. It felt like I think I agree with Greg. It felt like he she he got really mad at Bailey and it's like, you know what? You're not in charge of residence anymore. Bye bye. And also, who like she doesn't want to be in charge of residence. That's a that's such an annoying responsibility. I can't. I don't know why anyone ever wants to do it. And usually, the people that end up being in charge of education of education are people that like that means you really want to be a part of an educational institution and then you get a leg up and maybe picking your way in that institution but no i don't i think i knew one chief resident that was like no no i like doing this kind of like scheduling and i don't like the scheduling part but i do like the teaching part oh wait were you a chief resident no yeah i didn't think so no (laughs) but i do teach residents a lot so is chief resident is that like still a resident but the head of the program or is that no so you're basically uh, so it depends on your program. Some chief residents, it's like incorporated into their final year of residency where they're in charge of some administrative stuff. And then some, they make you do an extra year of residency as a chief resident where you're in charge of the residents, like scheduling. and you're But like you, are, you are still a resident as opposed to a fellow or yeah. an attending. You're kind of like the liaison between the residents and the attendings. It's kind of like almost... It's it looks really good on your resume. It's also like if you wanted to stay at a place and and they're asking you to be the chief resident, it's like you're auditioning to work there, yeah. right? So so it's more than like being head boy at Hogwarts. No, you are head boy at Hogwarts. Essentially, it's about it's about the same. It's about the same. Um, the one thing you were talking about, Greg, was just their all their conversations. I did write down. Why are they talking about so many things about their personal life out in public? You know, I, I mean, I'm I'm actually okay with that because you you sort of uh, I understand how you get you you don't have time to talk about it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But a a place where 
if you're gonna talk about it you should still be paying attention attention to what you're doing is while you're doing surgery and that's the thing i noticed the most is the amount of times they're holding deep direct eye contact with each other while they're well while they're you can see a scalpel in the background kind of mashing something and it's like Dude, you are, you, you're not cutting a goddamn steak. I have had surgeons do crazy things. I think I told the story of the lady that made me sing for my grade as a surge, as a surgical resident. Not I was not a surgical resident in Surgi- my surgical rotation. rotation. <laughs> let me let me stop that letter from happening. <laughs> um, but like, so that's a crazy thing that happened to me. At no point did she ever look up from the surgical field. She was still doing her job. Right, sing to me while I cut the <laughs> spleen open. It's just. You know that ultimately this is a show. You know it's a show about relationships because at this point it has to be. But yeah, it it's like you. Yes, all that stuff does happen in the hospital and people. You know, have relationships and they break up and whatever. But when you're <laughs> when you're having surgery, you are paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah. Um. And then we reach the final patient that I want to talk about, who has nothing to do with surgery. Ghost lady. No, oh, sorry. We'll talk about Ghost Lady after this. Um, Maggot Lady? But it's this... Which one? Maggot Lady? Oh, my God. We forgot about Maggot Lady. We've got three more patients Jesus Christ, there's so many patients. Uh, Can I talk about Kid Patient? You can, because I have nothing to input. Uh, So, I think Alex Karev sees a kid who has tummy pain, fever, and guarding. You mean appendicitis? Well, that's what the surgeon thinks, right? Like, if if it's a nail, everything... Or was it? What do you think the cop thinks? Ayo. <laughs> but he thinks it's a appendicitis and wants to CT this kid. So they get blood work first and it has an elevated white count. So they're like, oh, we're going to get a CT scan, which I think for kids, we try to get an ultrasound first before we do a CT scan because there's a lot of radiation and kids can't handle it. But they do a CT scan and they say his adrenals, her adrenals were large. They said the kid had adrenal insufficiency and she cannot make enough adrenaline. And that is not right. What's the biggest cause of adrenal insufficiency? Going to Brazil. No. <laughs> so they said she got blastomycosis, which is a lung disease, not a adrenal disease. It's a fungus that causes um, fungal balls in your lungs, and the most common place that you get it, the Midwest. Oh, I thought it was. I thought this was a desert, an Arizona thing. No, that's coccidium. Ah. So coccidiomycosis is in the the desert. Blastomycosis is in the Midwest. So but, she didn't get it when she went to Brazil. She got it at, in the layover at Chicago O'Hare. Most likely. But also blasto doesn't cause this stuff. But when you get adrenal insufficiency, what happens is you can't make a stress hormone. So if you start vomiting and having diarrhea, your glucose plummets because cortisol is your stress hormone. Greg... Greg is making shruggy face because he doesn't deal with this as much. <laughs> well outside of my So you can, it us- usually you diagnose this at birth when they get something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia where they can have um, ambiguous genitalia where... Girl- Illegal child. <laughs> <laughs> where you can't tell if it, potentially you can't tell if Johnny's it's a boy not or a girl. That one. Nope. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those situations where you can't tell if it's a boy or a girl and you have to do like genetic testing to find out. But these kids can also get a lot of salt wasting and get into a lot of crises. And whenever they have a lot of vomiting and diarrhea, their glucose can plummet to zero, and then they can go into seizures and potentially die. I should have said die. no sports for this child. I was, <laughs> I, that would have been a better one. No sports. No sports. <laughs> no sports. Depends on which sport. 
especially in Florida, where yeah, they no, ask no, you when no you, Florida sports, no Florida sports. That is actually a place where they will not let you do that. But yeah, you get really bad electrolytes, and they kind of alluded to it, but not really. They just kind of mentioned that she had low glucose, which is a big hallmark of this disease. But you do not die if you get scared. Yeah, that was that's a big. They're like, well, what's the thing that could make you have a lot of adrenaline? And uh, so then it's like they're talking about different things because because they're talking about adrenaline versus what cortisol and other. Yeah, I mean, it's really cortisol, which is the big one. I think it's one of those things where, like, that is that is a thing that a writer could read and be like, oh, this makes sense, and it doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense. How, and also, if you hear the word adrenal hyperplasia, you go, oh, your adrenal glands are big, therefore you must dump out a lot of adrenaline if you were a non-medical person. But in reality, you're just not making stress hormones, so you would actually die from just stress in general. And the biggest stress is fever. Some kind of illness, vomiting and diarrhea are the biggest ones. So I actually had a patient that had this. <laughs> this is my ghost now. Um, and the treatment is to give Poor him. Johnny. Johnny has to do so much. <laughs> he has to do so much editing on this. Um, the treatment is steroids. And we usually send families home with a course of steroids. And I think the doctor in this episode called for steroids to treat this patient. But uh, I had a family who came in, did not give this patient steroids. The patient came in like pretty much blue and dead. And then they kind of left after I called the code. Found out they weren't taking care of this kid for a long time, as well as a bunch of other kids, too. What happened to those parents whose kid just died? Uh, Uh, They're gone. Yeah, that's actually what happened. I said, hey, I just called time of death. Where is this family? Can't find them. We found them eventually. It just took a while. But the congenital adrenal hyperplasia, if you have it, you will not die from being scared from scooby-doo syndrome correct or homer homer simpson syndrome where his heart is jumping out up and down when he was told he was going to be fired i think the initial scare doesn't get him it's when they take the mask off and they're surprised (laughs) by the irony of the criminal (laughs) that's that's when they suddenly learn about capitalism (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i hated that case so much uh that that was the worst pediatric medicine i've ever seen did you? I, I mean, it's interesting that the way to be a good doctor is to not charge your patients for the medicine you're giving them, right? I That's, mean, I sneak medicine to families as and much also as I there, can. Right? There are those people that you do that for. Yeah. But also, we're the only country that does, like, where you have to do that. Otherwise, everywhere else, you just go, here's your medicine, go pick it up. I will say, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves, is when a family goes, hey, can you write me a prescription for Tylenol? I'm like, nope. You definitely can afford it. I'm like, yeah, but if you write it, it's free. And then go, oh, fine. Yeah, and and also there are those times where you say yes to that, and there are times where it's just like, nope, today I'm drawing my foot in the sand. <laughs> and I love drawing feet in the sand. When I, I got, um, I stepped on a glass bottle when I was in Cuba, and I had to get stitches. I got, I think, eight stitches. I, walk, I, I gave my name, walked in, they stitched me up. I had follow-up a week later to get them removed. At no point... Did anyone even ask for my ID? Well, those were the pit- Cuba, the, by the way. Those were the people's stitches. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, some, some countries are making this work where you don't have to go bankrupt to get some medical care. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why everything falls to the ER. The ER has to treat and see everybody, and we don't care if you have insurance or not. So when I hear people go, oh, the ER turned me away because I didn't have good insurance, I, I know no, you're a dirty don't. liar. Yeah, that's... 
I mean, the ER does ask you for your insurance, though. But we won't turn you away. We'll yeah. still see you. Uh, on that point, there was that one old lady whose son brought him brought her in very unwillingly. Oh yeah, with yeah. a leg wound, mm-hmm. and that was delightful. And Sorry. when I saw that, I go, you know who can talk about this case really well? Greg Winter. <laughs> I have on my sheet it says maggot story, and then I have a uh, trident symbol because i have three possible maggot stories i could tell (laughs) which one would you like would you like to set up the case (laughs) um i think the one that's the the one that's the most like this one actually i that one i I sent a picture of the other day yeah that was uh, yeah that was a good picture Um, uh, so setting up this case really quick uh lady comes in with uh her is, is brought in mostly against her will by her son because she does not like doctors or hospitals uh and but she's got a wound on her leg i mean i get it same same i don't like doctors i i think they have their good days and their bad days uh <laughs> uh but she's got this wound on her leg and uh they find out okay how long have you had this oh what four months they say and something along those lines that's um probably more common than you think yeah people often i mean even people that don't mind going to the doctor, often things that are really scary to them, they put off because it's scary. Um, somebody who has a wound like that, uh, often we see that in patients that are diabetic. It's not usually in the middle of their thigh. Usually it's in their, their toes, like places that they can't see and they can't reach. Um, so you start to see skin breakdown on the, on the sacrum. So that's like above the buttocks. And then you see it on their heels and in between their toes. Uh, part of especially long-standing hypertension and diabetes is that it messes with your nerve endings, and so people don't even feel that anything's wrong. So, a thing I've seen: we used to do diabetic, uh, diabetic wound care clinic or diabetic foot care, and like people would step on something they wouldn't even know for months and months. Then somebody like notices a smell, and that's what brings them. In. It's not like that something feels bad to the patient; it's that. The smell is so bad that they have to get looked at. And, you know, you come and you see these and it's just like huge wounds on their feet. You don't understand how they they can't know what's going on, except for they don't have they don't have any feeling even up to their knee. Right. You're, you're kind of like squeezing to see where they start feeling you. And their their nerves are so damaged that they just don't really feel anything. Um, and our bodies are pretty good at protecting itself. Right. So if you if you remove that thing that's sticking in their foot. And you give the and you can get to healthy tissue. Usually, their body can take care of it. It might take a long time. Um, but one of the things that happens in nature is if tissue is dead, there is some turnover. That is often maggots. Um, maggots eat dead tissue, and that is a thing you will you will see that. And if you become a doctor, you will see maggots in someone's body in a way that. You knew it was going to happen, but you weren't ready for it. It's I think, always shocking it's, when you it's see never it. Never quite. But it always precedes. It always proceeds a smell. The smell yeah, always comes. First. I had one. I had one guy with facial cancer that. Um, God, what is what is that thing called? like trichnophobia, where you have fear of holes, like mm-hmm. hole, like repeated holes. Tryptophobia. Okay. So that is what was happening in the tumor that was growing out of his face, and so that was a thing. That was, uh, it was both horrible to look at and a thing that all of us were fascinated by, right? I how, can't how do you, stop looking at this. I think part of being, part of the people that enjoy being a doctor, like they, there is some fascination with the things that can go wrong with the body. Yes. And um, 
This was an in- this was a guy that was dropped off by his family. Clearly, he had a facial uh, a face tumor. They're like, we can't take care of him. He has two weeks to take care of himself. And as we're cleaning him up, you know, that's one of the things that we notice. And you know, try try to take care of that wound as best as possible. Um, this was when I was doing my hospice, uh, my hospice fellowship. So we, I mean, it was you know, the first thing you do is pain agitation control, right? And then you can look and see and do a body assessment and what's going on. And he was clearly pretty close to the end, but also like there shouldn't be bugs there. I mean, really tough to look at. And also like, it's this weird thing of just like, you have to, you have to come and see this guy. Yeah. Um, were there maggots on his face? Yes. And I think that brings to a good point. Maggots only eat dead tissue. Yeah. Um, and I think the doctors in this show said, Hey, we need to, take a biopsy to see how deep this infection goes and i don't think i've ever done that on an infection yeah and that's mixing two things right like really what what would probably happen is clearly that person has either they have a really bad infection and she didn't look toxic right no so she was not sweating Uh, she was she didn't she was still febrile she was still able to respond to you she wasn't a patient that was crashing so probably not an infection, probably some gross thing that ended up embedded in her leg. Yeah. And then the tissue, like the body does what it can. So that's walling off the weird thing. And then that weird thing is surrounded by some dead tissue and flies going to fly. So <laughs> I did appreciate when they opened up the thing, a fly flew out. I mean, it's it's weird when you it's like that's for poetic license. But I've seen a similar enough thing where I'm just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yep. flies gonna fly. Flies gonna fly. Um, what did you think about the sun going? Because she was freaking out. She hates doctors, and we see this all the time. What did you think about the sun going? Can't you just knock her out or something? That is a thing that gets asked, and I do think they kind of address this well. Like, the patient still has autonomy. A patient that's well informed can refuse what would otherwise be considered easy, simple medical care. Uh, I think. Well, was it Doctor Gray that? set up her yes yeah i mean that and that's just that's and torres that's understanding how to treat your patient right like you can't really just be like hey we're gonna do this you have an infection don't worry it's gonna be simple it's like this is a patient where everything is extra yeah and and if you're able to present that in a way so that she can think about it calmly then she probably will choose the proper medical treatment but that might mean you have to jump through some hoops i've i have purchased some stuff from the store for my patients before and that makes you feel dumb, but also it's like, well, I can argue, I can lo- I can try to logically argue with somebody who is not thinking logically, or I'm going to buy them a f- teddy bear from the hospital. It costs $2. Who cares? Whatever. I'll get, they'll reimburse me if I really want it. And if that's the thing that allows me to do my job, then I think that like, it's one of those weird things where like, oh yeah, that happens. That's the thing that happens. Johnny. I'm still... Picturing your patient, Greg, and all that's in my head is the illustrations from the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Oh, the one who had the spider going yeah. through her cheek and then bust out? Yeah. Kind of look like that, but imagine, uh, you know, six rows of that. Pass. Pass. Lovely. And that, I mean, so the the other important part is, like Jackson said, is is flies don't eat, they, they eat dead tissue. So this is tissue that has been, like, it was, a, it was... Not a good sight to see. I'm happy he was able to get to the hospice home because we are sort of used to taking care of patients like that. But also it was like, that's a patient that we talked about later. And one of the, th- one of the things that we had talked about was in that patient's chart, it had said in numerous places, um, 
patient lost a follow-up or patient um, does not follow medical advice. And then if you see this guy's, like, this guy doesn't have a face. No. So then how are you going to come in for your four-month follow-up when you have flies living in your face and you don't have a face? Like, wh- at what point is medicine failing you when they're like, well, this guy, you don't, this guy's lost the follow-up. There's nothing we can do for him. Ah, we did the best we could. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. No, we, we talked about that guy for a while. Yeah. But speaking of scary, like my segue there, there's some random scary lady in the waiting room where the resident finds her. <laughs> Wait, you're bringing up this? That's not even a real case, Jackson. It is. She, was, she wanted free meds. Or, oh, we, t- we, t- we talked about it. We, we I did t- not. I, the one thing I will say is she's the one who scared that kid to death. And then the doctor who came to assess her goes, she has expiratory wheezing. And I lost my. Oh my yeah, mind. there was there was another thing that was mispronounced. Oh, oh, because it'd be expiratory because yeah, expiratory wheezing like dying. Wheezing. Yeah, but yeah, the way they they just put the emphasis on that word just kind of made me lose. Yeah, that's it. making me. I'm trying to figure out what surgery they were gonna do on that guy. Which the on Weber? Yeah, I don't remember because I think that's another place where I was like, oh, they're gonna mess up because that's that's where they always mess up pronunciations oh, well, is in like complicated. Yeah. Oh, the one thing but that they didn't mess up any of that, but they also didn't let anybody know what the like, what's the best approach for what for what? Oh, the one thing that did grind my gears was that resident who went out into the waiting room trying to see patients. And there was like one kid who was just coughing a bunch. He goes, that kid needs a room right away so we can get a rapid flu. I'm like, who needs a rapid flu on a kid? You're going to rapid flu him in the waiting room and send him home. Like, there's no reason to rush that kid back. He has the flu. He feels like poo. It's just what it is. I did not mean to make it a poem. <laughs> I do. I mean, yeah. You, although at some point, if somebody comes in with respiratory distress, you might find out that they have the flu. But if someone is so sick that they need to be in the ER, the knowledge of what it is doesn't matter as much as the supportive care that that person is there for. Correct. And so, like, you don't you don't do a rapid flu. You like, oh shit, that person needs oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> you treat you treat the patient, not the the diagnosis. Or that person needs a duo nebs. Yeah. Just like this episode, that episode we just watched ran real long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, we John, are now John is just slightly away. over the length of the episode. Um, <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, yes. so, that's doing pretty no. good for us. Um, but we do probably have a little bit more to cover because the human centipede built <gasps> itself as 100% medically accurate. Yes. If that's the case, and if that's our baseline, how medically accurate is season 10, episode 7 of Grey's Anatomy Thriller? You know what? They used words that were real. Like Grey's. And Cytus and Versus. And... Expiratory. I have a tendency to judge shows that are medical at a different... Use a different standard. Curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're trying to be like, look at all this medical stuff we're doing. It's so important. And... uh. I mean, at some point, I, I remember during med school when, like, it would be Thursday and people would be like, uh, we're stopping studying. We're going to have a Grey's party in the lounge. Excuse me. That's office night. Uh, I believe it was also Grey's night. This, this was before I stopped going to school. <laughs> um, but I remember, like, <laughs> it, that, it was a big enough. Grey's night. <laughs> right. It, there, there was a big enough. It was a big enough following that or it. it, it it had enough to do with actual medicine at one point that it was interesting to the people that were learning about it. Fair. And at some point, 
it it's like um tbs right it's more about the character than it is the fact that they're in a hospital doing stuff usa usa whatever characters welcome <laughs> tbs characters welcome <laughs> <laughs> i believe you know, tbs that's knows drama no yes. that's tnt no, that's ah. usa tnt knows drama <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, this is all going to be a plane crash. Just yeah, like right. And then they'll inherit now. the hospital. Oh, that's exactly. Oh, I hate that. That's the storyline. It all happened inside the mind of an autistic child in a snow globe. Um, Different hospital. Which is also a better end. Like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think that because the show is trying so hard and that they barely talk about, they don't actually talk about any real medicine, although they do talk about some at least medical ideas that are that feel important to me now that I'm more cynical than I used to be. And now that I do hospice care, um, I think, I don't know, I'm going to say 128. Hey, so it's more accurate than the human centipede, more accurate than the human centipede, but, and, and it's more accurate than some of the stuff we've done, but yeah. because this is a medical drama, I, it's like, you guys got to swing for the fences and they, there are some things they drop the ball on. One of the one of the other things I noticed in the background. Uh-huh. So at at some point you have to learn how to sew. Um, you know, because you, you have to sew up lacerations and stuff on people's bodies. Yeah. And and there's this scene where the two, where McDreamy and the other dude are like using it to sew up a Halloween costume. Yes. And I like there is not a single person who has ever stolen a needle from the ER that hasn't sewed up a something with their needle and thread because they're trying to teach you know you're trying to learn the techniques and the way to tie knots and stuff yeah what i didn't like was that those needles are not designed to be ever going through anything cloth so it tears cloth so either you bend the needle or you tear the cloth and so it's like you you have to have a very you you like find the specific thing that works for you where you can like kind of practice sewing and then after 10 sweeps your needle breaks in half it just gets really dull yeah, first it's, yeah it gets it's not meant to be used forever and it's also not meant to be going through cloth right yeah. so then you, you 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 think you come up with a good thing to use to practice and you're wrong and then you're like oh pantyhose seem to work really well and then you're like tearing pantyhose and trying to figure out how to lightly get it start but also everyone figures out the thing that works for them and I, as I was watching them sew up that butterfly thing, I was like, oh, no, that would ruin the needle really. Yeah. <laughs> That's when pork belly came in handy. Pork belly also ruins the needle pretty fast. Yeah, but it was uh, the closest I had. And you, what you need to do is you have to have thawed pork belly. Yes, correct. You, and that's not, no one ever gives you thawed pork belly. Like, here's a, here's a pork foot that's been frozen rock hard in the back of this industrial freezer. Sew it up. You got to go to H Mart. That's, that's where you get the fresh stuff. Yeah. Um, Live and learn. I'm going to say it's just as accurate as the human centipede. Human centipede is pretty crap, but this is also not great. I don't think this is. I don't know. Like the whole, the pediatric case was just a shamocracy. I will give you that. And I also, I was like, oh, I don't care about this. (laughs) But for me, I care about it because that's like real medicine that they completely butchered. Okay. Okay. That's Fuck you, Jackson. No, no. Not like, not like surgery. I mean, like medical, medical. Uh, a, a non-cutty. Sorry. Please, please continue digging yourself out of this hole of what is and what isn't real medicine. It is a non-surgical case. That's PO Box five five five, KL five one two three four five three zero D O C T O R B. 
But it is the one that is not a surgical case, and they butchered that horribly. I think that's why I'm going to say it's as accurate as the human centipede. I'm going to be honest here. Uh huh. You guys had a lot more good things to say about this than I expected. Was this a good episode of TV? No, no, no. no. This is that is a different question. Yeah. This this episode had way too much stuff crammed into an hour. It really did. It almost felt like an episode of like TLC's true stories of the or untold stories of the ER where they cram way too many cases in one. Yeah, imagine imagine if they didn't do any of the stuff about the kids' Halloween party and and the small conversations they sort of had addressing the fact that all of literally every single one of their relationships is failing. Yeah. Also, that's an important like <laughs> in medicine. That happens. People treat their jobs as more important than their life. Mm-hmm. And it can it can feel that way, but if you're doing that, you are wrong. Yes. And that is completely correct. So they got that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh this episode was horrible. It took too long to watch, even though it was only forty two minutes. I enjoyed it because I knew all the shit I was gonna talk about it. I did not because I kept checking the clock to see how much more of this episode was left. I mean, Johnny, I don't know how you feel about it. I I did the same. I honestly thought, like I was saying at the beginning, I honestly thought that this was an extra special long episode when I was watching it, and it, it was not. It felt like forever. It felt like it resolved itself three or four times. Because there was ten different storylines happening. Very yeah. true. Um, and we I probably forgot less. about a, another patient somewhere. Did we? Probably. Probably. Um, definitely forgot about a couple doctors. Um, anyway, so with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back uh, next week with the promised Beetlejuice uh, yeah. to close out. Oh, I'm super excited. Yeah, yes. To close out Horrortober. Yeah. Horrortober. Right. So, bye, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>